we're going to go with this. So good evening, everyone. So here we are to the end, or just about to the end of three full days of practice. And um, if you haven't already been doing so, I invite you just to take a few moments right now and just check in. How's it going? Right? And you may want to, uh, again, if you're not already, if your mindfulness is not already connected with your body, bring your attention, just check in with the body. There may be a general sense of the body. There may be some specific sensations that are really kind of popping out to your awareness. Check in with the states of your mind and your heart. Just the whole experience of your being, just right here, right now. And then I also invite you to take a few moments, if you're not already noticing, to, in addition to your experience, to notice how is it that you are relating to whatever's happening. And if you notice any places of tension or tightness, difficulties or challenge, see if you can let go around it a little bit. That may not always be easy, so you know we do the we just do the best we can. Don't make a struggle about it, but see if you can just kind of let go around. If you can, great. And if you find that there's something going on and you can't let go around it, um, that's okay. That's actually teaching you. It's giving you information. It's telling you, oh, for this situation where I'm at right now, I can't let go around this right now, and that's actually. Uh, valuable to learn, right? So however it is, whatever's happening and however you're relating to it, uh, you just want to kind of bring some wise discernment to it and just know kind of what's happening and just hold that, yeah. Tonight I want to talk about um, difficulties that can arise uh, in our practice. Um, You may have noticed some difficulties since you've been here, I don't know. But, uh, you know, it's going to be different for everyone. But it, difficulties are, you know, part of, part of it for all of us. And I'm going to spend some time talking about a particular formulation or, uh, that we uh, call the, the five hindrances, which can be a very, very useful, valuable way to, it's another one of these lists, but way to really help us uh, work with specific difficulties. And I'll come to that in a bit. But first, I want to back up and speak a little more generally about working with difficulties, and then I'll come back specifically to uh, working with hindrances. Just before coming in here, I was telling uh, some of the other teachers about being on a a long retreat. It was several months long, and I walked into the interview with the teacher, and I sat down, and I just said, this sucks. (laughs) And then he said to me, can you please describe where you're experiencing the sucking sensation. (laughs) So, I don't think he was quite getting where I was coming, what I was trying to communicate there. But it can be like this sometimes. Um, uh, My wife once um, came home from, I think it was like a two and a half month retreat, asked her how her retreat was, and first thing out of her mouth, she'd been meditating for years, first thing out of her mouth was, I, I, I don't think this meditation's all that great. <laughs> she'd had a rough retreat. So I said, okay, what's happening? And she said, I mean, do I have to feel everything? Do I have to see and know? There's stuff in there that I didn't want to know was in there. <laughs> she, that's what she said. <laughs> Okay, so it can be like this, yeah. Uh, And sometimes it can feel like that, right? If it's challenging or difficult. And maybe sometimes, maybe it feels like we would rather not feel this. But if we want to come to an end of our suffering, we need to understand our suffering, its cause, of course, and how we can learn to let go. How do you come to understand anything? It's through experience. Yeah. 
there are respected paths of practice that actually seek out pain and difficulty in order to work with them. And that's fine if that's a good match for some people. Um, my own recommendation fits in alignment with the way we've been teaching here, which is actually a lot of emphasis on ease and relaxation, caring for yourself, right? Getting what you need. And my experience is, is that people don't get lazy or complacent. They're actually able to uh, oftentimes practice more ardently and more deeply because a sense of safety and ease and relaxation can come up. And then they're able to really uh, uh, really um, feel more, I guess safe is maybe not the right word, but uh, uh, that they can do this. Um, so you don't need to go seeking out suffering. It will find you. <laughs> right? All the suffering you need will come. Right? So I want to talk about that a little tonight because we want to have what, what is it that tends to happen when, when we're suffering. Right? What often tends to happen is the immediate reaction is, not this. I remember one of my very first retreats, a 10-day retreat, uh, I was really young, I think like 18 or 19 years old, and um, I was very uh, naive and idealistic, and I had this idea that it was going to be kind of this straight line, I don't know to what, to something transcendent or enlightenment. And I showed up at the retreat center, and there's the place where the, uh, the dining hall and the... Uh, the meditation hall were kind of together and I was camping and I found this really great place. It was about a one minute walk away, but it felt really far away where I would go up a hill and then just drop back slightly over and I had my campsite there all to myself. So it was kind of alone. And then later I'm there and the bell rings to kind of um, uh, call us to come for the first gathering. And it was getting dark around dusk, which can sometimes be a melancholy time for me. And then and the bells ringing, and it was, I wasn't alone. All of a sudden, I was lonely. And this loneliness came up. And, this, um, and then all my despair and all my self-esteem psychology, it just all came, roar, all my wounds came roaring up. Just totally caught me off guard. And I remember just thinking, oh, not this, not this. I, it was just so painful to be with this. And I'm here on this retreat just to be present with myself. It can be like this sometimes, right? Uh, not always, but I mean, it, you know, that's, it can. And so um, for the next two days, I just re I remember, just have this memory of just sitting with all of this. And it was hard just to sit in that suffering. And then it kind of, in my case, it kind of settled out and then I kind of was able to get more concentrated. And it doesn't mean that difficulties never arose, but I was able to have more of a base of support, of stability of mind and things, and things proceeded. And actually, I would say for the first few years of my retreat uh, practice, uh, invariably that's what would happen. I would come and it would just all this stuff would come roaring up. And so that's kind of un disentangled and unwound over the years. And I'm not saying nothing ever comes up, but um, you know, it shifts and changes. So uh, it doesn't have to be that way for you, but these difficulties can come. And difficulties can come in many forms. And it's interesting too, because think about it. We come here, we're in this beautiful place. You can sit in any posture you want, lie down, do whatever you need to care for your body. They feed us on this beautiful land. You're deeply in your own space. No one's tracking you or watching you, so you can kind of make the retreat your own. You really can come and go as you, you want. You can, you can do whatever you need to care for yourself. And you don't have to make anything happen. All that's being asked is just to sit and be present with yourself. And we can see how hard just that simple thing can sometimes be. We get to see how 
beautiful the mind can be in ways we may not have imagined. That can happen. But we also can see how difficult it can be just to be present with ourselves. And, um, you know, oftentimes many of us, I would even say, have an adversarial relationship with ourselves. Right? And that, uh, I mean, if that's true for us, we want to have come to know what's going on and understand it. But that can be very painful. It doesn't have to be this intense. You're all having your own experience. But our own version of difficulties can arise. And I want to read this quote from Goenka. You know, Goenka was an interesting person. His practice for me, I, I know it was a great match for some people, very powerful. Not a good match, like all practices for others. Um, it could be very uh, kind of intense, and to me it felt kind of like, uh, like meditation army boot camp. That just was my experience. I'm not uh, being critical, but that for me. But Goenka himself... It, I hung around him a little, got a little bit, I got to. He was just this spacious, I just felt the, the love, the wisdom, the, I mean, something. He was one of these people, kind of like, if any of you know who Powak is, he's another person, but I was in his presence, it's just like, it's palpable. Whatever that person has, that's, I want that. <laughs> that was my take. Powak was, is like that too, um, if you ever get to meet him in person. So, and this is uh, Goenka. He said, this is a quote that gets a uh, uh, famous quote of his. Real wisdom is recognizing and accepting that every experience is impermanent. With this insight, you will not be overwhelmed by ups and downs. And when you are able to maintain an inner balance, you can choose to act in ways that will create happiness for you and others. This is a beautiful feeling here. Living each moment happily with an equanimous mind, you will surely progress toward the ultimate goal of liberation from all suffering. And that just has such a sweet feeling. And I, I'm sure most of us, all of us, you hear that and you go, yeah, that, I'm signing up for that. And we say, don't cling. Just let things be, let go. And soon enough, you find out that you can't do it. You can do it in a moment. All it takes is the right causes and conditions to come together. You're just caught right back again. That's why we're practicing here. That's what this is all about, is learning to disentangle ourselves from these habitual condition reactive uh, patterns. Right? Uh, I like that word disentangled. Uh, sometimes people will, I'm, maybe I'll get a chance to talk about this further uh, in one of my talks later actually, but uh, this idea of disentangling. Sometimes people, you'll hear people use terminology like to be like non-attached or something like that, which is a very common, perfectly good word. But we have to be careful because it can have, um, it can have um, neg uh, negative connotation of being detached, disconnected. That's not what we're talking about here, right? We're actually doing the opposite. Think of what we do in these practices. We go very deeply within ourselves, right? Turning our attention inwards to really like, really in a profound way, come to know the depths of our being, right? And so it's actually about connecting, but connecting in a way that's disentangled. It's not, you know, dete being dete uh, uh, um, uh, non-attached can sometimes feel like I'm sort of the untouched witness but we feel it, we are it, we become, we are all of those experiences. That is really what we are. And so we want to learn how to, how to be in it, but, not, but in a way that's liberated and free. So that's what I, we have to find some way to do this. Okay. So what we need, by the way, I don't mean to be disrespectful here, I don't think we need the Buddha to tell us anything about suffering. For real. We're experts. We know all about it. What we don't know is what to do about it. That's where we could use some help. So I want to explore that a little with you. So 
a few general suggestions on dealing with some of the difficulties and challenges that can arise in retreat, but really at, in any time in life, some general suggestions, and then we'll actually uh, take a look at, at the list of uh, five hindrances. As we've been saying over and over, if there's any possibility of freedom, it hinges on mindfulness and awareness, right? So let me ask a question. What is the instruction that we give when you're meditating? And then you're, you get lost in thought, you're gone, you totally forget to be with the breath, whatever you're doing. What's the instruction? Anybody want to say? Anyone? No one wants to say? Right, come back, right? Thank you. It's a trick question. So I need someone to answer like that, so thank you. Uh, when you're lost and gone, there is no instruction. You don't even know you're gone. Instruction only kicks in when you're already back. And know you've been away. And then, so when you're lost and gone, and just, sometimes people will say, oh, that person went unconscious. And we know what they mean. But actually, they're not unconscious, they're conscious. They're just lost and caught up in things. So to me, I'll, I'll use mindfulness. There's many definitions for mindfulness. I'll, here's one I'll use in this context uh, for tonight. When I use mindfulness, I mean not being lost on automatic pilot. That's what I mean. Right. Then we have some choice. When you're just lost, don't worry about it. Nothing you can do anyway. Now, there, yes, it's true, then you'll just be at the effect of your con habitual conditioning of mind. Hopefully you don't <laughs> create too much breakage along the way. I don't know why I'm laughing about that, because it may not be funny, but you can't do anything anyway. But when you're back, then we can start to meet the difficulties and know what's happening in the moment, right? And then we have at least a start and a chance. So when we start to give you some more tips about working with hindrances and some more things I'm going to say here in the next few moments, it depends on the mindfulness. That's why it's so foundational. And that's the practice we're doing here. So it, it actually doesn't matter how mindful or not you are, how concentrated or not you are, uh, how or anything. We start with where we're at and we're cultivating and growing and uh, these, uh, cultivating these uh, wholesome qualities. That's the work we're doing. And you will see that um, as uh, I think probably for most or all of us, as the retreat progresses and that uh, continuity and power of mindfulness grows, it becomes easier too because it kind of carries through more and more, and then you'll have that as a tool. Uh, maybe sometimes you, the, the practice shifts and it's not so much practicing how to be mindful, but then more using the mindfulness you have in, in responding to what's happening through the day. So uh, that's the, the most important uh, thing. Uh, and then we want to, if we're present and we know what's happening, we want to then have the tools to act in a way that's wise and skillful. Now I want to say, you can check this out for yourself, but for me, there have been times, I have to say, when I was totally mindful and aware. I knew what was happening. And the energy of what was heading in an unskillful direction was still so strong that it took me there. And I knew what was happening. I knew. So we have to be very respectful of these strong energies. Yeah. And uh, sometimes, so this is tip number one. Sometimes mindfulness alone, as you, as you probably know and will see, is all you need. We shine the light of awareness on whatever's happening. We're able to let go around. That's all, that's, that's it. Oftentimes, that's plenty. So that's a big, big piece right there. That's the starting point for any difficulties is always going to be first just to know what's happening. Bring your mindfulness to it. And then we kind of want to just hang out with it and be there and not just be automatically reactive, okay? So we can sort of assess the situation, if you will, right? But sometimes um, uh, that's not enough. And then we need to have some more uh, tools in our toolkit, right? Um, so, oh, I want to add one other thing in here too. 
So we say mindfulness is foundational. I want to offer, and this is not the Buddha, this is just my own. Other teachers may have a different take. I feel like from a, just the point of view of practice that equally foundational is a self-compassion. And I won't get into that more, but I just want to put that out. It's so important for all the times when we're sincere, we're trying, we may be struggling, and rather than falling into judging ourselves, um, when I say judging, I, I, don't, I don't mean not having wise discernment, but I mean the negative, unhelpful, unhelpful kind. Um, and we want to, uh, and we can be so hard on ourselves and create so much suffering and sometimes treat ourselves in ways we would never treat anyone else. So we need a lot of self-compassion. I'm going to just leave that for now. That deserves much, much more, but and, uh, just to put that out into the mix. Okay. So number one starts with mindfulness. Number two we need to recognize that sometimes there are certain experiences that are too much for us. Now, I don't know if I'm supposed to say that because we're really, what is it we always say? Something comes up and we say, well, be with it mindfully, right? I knew someone, actually more than one person, but I'm thinking of one person in particular who went, I'm not going to name the teacher, but went to Asia, went to Burma, was studying with, with a particular well-known Burmese teacher. And she told me that she started going through an extremely difficult time. And I don't know all the details, but I mean, she was having a major meltdown. Falling apart. And so I'm, you're getting this secondhand. I may not be conveying it exactly. I don't want to be unfair to the teacher who I'm not going to name. But the, basically the teacher said, did you note it? That was not the most helpful thing that she needed right then. What was happening was she was overwhelmed, actually, and needed other things. I'm not criticizing that teacher. He maybe didn't know the Western psychology, and uh, that, that's not my point. Right? When th um, look, we all have a line. I, the one way I like to think about it is, um, it's like imagine yourself at the center of a circle, and there's a circle. And the line, the, the, the circumference of the circle contains all the experiences of your life for which you're able to be present with equanimity. And if something gets of a certain quality is too strong, it goes outside the circle, it's too much. And a lot of practices, it's not a should, right? It's not hard to recognize things that are too hard for us. When I was just starting my practice, I was, uh, I think I was 18 or 19 years old. I went to the dentist, get a tooth filled. This really happened. I was so naive. He was going to give me the Novocaine, and I said, uh, no, that's okay, don't numb me up. I'm going to, God. <laughs> I'm just going to, something, I, I, my recollection is saying something along the lines of, I'll just, stay present as, <laughs> as sensations arise and pass away. <laughs> Something like that. I don't know what he thought. <laughs> Probably thought, oh my God, I've got a, I've got a, I've got a live one now. <laughs> I, did, I did do it without Novocaine. If that dentist chair is still around, I guarantee you my handprints are still embedded in the armrest. It was so beyond my ability to be with it. It wasn't even close. You would have thought I could have said, hang on a second, um, sorry I made a mistake, it better numb me up. <laughs> right? I don't remember, all I remember is two things, and you know, sometimes memories kind of embellish a little. I, I did, this did happen. I remember saying something like that to Dennis, and I remember, this may be kind of an embellishment over the years, but I have a memory of saying, Shankman, you've really done it this time. <laughs> and I toughed it out. Right? Couldn't work with it. It blew me away. If, now that's an extreme example, but we want to recognize sometimes things are beyond, and the skill is to know when, right? We have to be respectful of that if it's too much for us. And if something really is too much for us, 
we need either, you have a few choices. If you're able, we, need, we better be able to bring the intensity down into a level which, which we can be present with it. Or we better bring up our ability to be with it. And if we can't do any one of those and it's really uh, too much, we're going to suffer. That's going to be a lot of suffering. Yeah. And there may be situations in our life like that. That's when we need a lot of compassion for those times, right? So, but we need to be careful. So if you're sitting here in the hall, and I'll just, I don't know, whatever, you're sitting here, maybe you have knee pain, okay? There are times to just work with it, be with it, learn how to find the freedom, right? With, with the knee pain, how to work with it, how to be with it. There are other times when it probably would serve us better to stretch out your knee, your leg. Uh, here's what can happen. Sometimes you're going to stretch your leg out. And you know what? You could have worked with it and could have gained a lot of valuable um, insight. Okay, it happens. You missed an opportunity. More will come. Other times you stayed with it too long you suffered unnecessarily. Okay, that can happen too. We have lots more opportunities, but through the just keeping the awareness of, of that doing the best we can, over time we develop our, our discernment, uh, it gets uh, more keen, and we are able more and more to trust kind of to how to navigate that and really know like when is it time and, and more and more. You don't have to get it perfect, but just be aware that we want to be careful by acknowledging things can be too much for us. The tendency is like, yeah, 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 and then just push it away. Let's not be too quick to do that. You don't want to make such choices out of reactivity. Hang out with things a bit. See where you're at in relationship with it. Can I really work with this? What's the nature of this pain? What's my uh, relationship with it? You know, there's a lot we could, more we can say about that sort of the investigation and sort of being on the insight uh, side of the practice with these things. But just to be aware that um, we can get fooled because we think we're following our wisdom and we're really following our likes and dislikes. And that's part of the learning as we come to know, be able to distinguish the difference more and more. Okay. So, mindfulness Number one. Number two, we want to recognize in working with difficulties there can be things that, that are um, too much for us. Number three, don't judge the difficulties. Or, no, let me back up. Don't judge your practice by how pleasant or unpleasant it is. Let me ask you a question. What's a good meditation? What's a bad meditation? We're not supposed to talk like that. Just between us, like don't tell the other teachers here. <laughs> we all know what a good meditation is and what a bad meditation is. Let's be honest. <laughs> What's a good meditation? It's you're getting your way. <laughs> it's giving you what you want. Your body's cooperating. Now, I want to be very respectful. There are people here with chronic pain, and I know for some of us, it's hard to really find ease in the body. I want to be very respectful about that. So we do the best we can, but a good meditation is whatever that means for us, where the body's at its best, the mind's clear, we can concentrate. And when that bell rings, here's how you know a good meditation. The bell rings, and you say, you know, I think I'm going to sit with this another 10, 15 minutes. <laughs> What's a bad meditation? We know it's the opposite. Body hurts, can't concentrate, all your psychology is up. You're sitting there burning in anger, or whatever, a million variations. Have you ever, when that's happened, the bell ring said, you know, I think I'm going to sit and hang out with this another 10 minutes. <laughs> You should try the experiment sometime. Right there is a good place to hang out. We don't do that, right? 
Of course, there isn't such a thing as a good or bad meditation. There's just what's happening. But we fall in... It's not just meditation. It's any time there's difficulties, right? And, and if a time... I've had times on retreats, and the, it felt like everything was falling apart. It wasn't really falling apart. It was just what was happening. But it felt like that day, even being on long retreats, um, you know, I'm getting into beautiful states of consciousness and I'm concentrated and it's going according to my plan. <laughs> and then one day, for no apparent reason, I wake up and I'm burning in uh, hatred for all beings. <laughs> this happened to me. I was on a very long retreat. I was like, I don't know what, I was like six months into this year-long thing and I'm merging in oneness with the... And then one day I woke up, I hated everybody. <laughs> and you could all just die. It was not good. And I was shocked. And I was hoping nobody there had developed uh, psychic powers to know what was going on in my mind. Because everybody I passed, I'm not going to say it was not good. My mind was... And then I'm yelling at myself, Shankman! That wasn't working. So fine, I make it to lunchtime. Suffering. I'm suffering. And I finally said to my mind, fine, if that's the way you're going to be about it, we'll just go back to the room. I'm just going to lie there on the bed and you just burn in suffering and see how you like that. <laughs> and I did. And you can start to see the impersonal nature of these things, is my point. And let it arise and pass away and then it washed out in its time and things. So, so these things can come and go, these difficulties. And rather than automatically getting in this habitual reactivity, we also can just see it's part of the changing flow of things, right? And it can help us hold it a little better, right? Yeah. By the way, is anyone here trying to have less pleasant or less of what you want to happen to you happen? And have more of what you don't want happen? More unpleasant. Anybody doing that? No. That's just being a human being, right? All beings want to move towards the pleasant and away from unpleasance, right? But what we're doing here is, you know, this notion of going against the stream, which gets used in a lot of different contexts, and this is another example about that, where I don't think we're going to stop having a preference for pleasant versus unpleasant. I remember I was in, uh, God, many years ago, I was at Tassajara, the, the Zen uh, retreat in Tassajara. I was really young, and I was walking behind these two old Zen monks. I'm thinking, okay, these guys are like deep. And I heard one of them say to the other one, um, you know, I'd much rather contemplate the, the, the emptiness of my bliss than the emptiness of my suffering. <laughs> that was so helpful to me. It's like, all right. We're all human beings here. The only problem, if our only way of seeking happiness, this is the key, is in having or not having certain experiences. It's a setup for suffering, right? That's the problem. And I think Sally or maybe others were in their, their talks were using this idea of, well, I did tonight too about we make a shift so our well-being is not just tied up in the nature of the experience. Our well-being is more about how we're relating to whatever's happening. Right? So we can bring that kind of attitude to meet our suffering. And then one last general piece here. Um, actually, I'm going to... Hmm. Do you know the simile of the two, two darts or the two arrows? Some of you, some don't. Yeah, just real quick. The, um, I don't remember if it's, if I can't, I'm just a little rusty. I don't remember if these are in the, the words are in the mouth of the Buddha or one of the other disciples. But it basically, just to paraphrase, it says the difference between a fully enlightened or a fully liberated person and an ordinary person. Even a Buddha experiences, anyone experiences uh, all the, what it is to be a human being. They experience suffering too, just like we do. 
And they said it's like being shot with an arrow. Everybody feels that. And then the, the problem for the ordinary person is, is that we add a layer of suffering on top of it in our inability or our struggles with the pain or with the difficulties, right? It's like being shot with a second arrow. Personally, I don't think that sounds that great. That's it. I'm either shot once or twice. You know, that, that's the good news of Buddhism. <laughs> you, know, you know, when I first started my pra- practice, this was, I was in a Hindu-oriented yoga tradition. It wasn't like this. Then it was like, the more blissed out, the better. You were like, they talked about like, you're gonna merge in oneness with God. Now that's for me. <laughs> I get shot once or twice. <laughs> but we don't wanna stop there, right? Remember, this is a path leading to the end of suffering. Not really saying that you're gonna lead to the end of of discomfort in our life, but we can find a relationship and the liberation there. I think that's the point. Okay, so these are some of the attitudes, and now I want to uh, use our time to talk a little bit about um, this list called the hindrances then. And it's a more specific way we can look at certain experiences. Um, uh, And we call them hindrances, when they arise, it's just what's happening. They're not inherently hinder- have to be hindrances, but they're certain ex- experiences or states of mind that tend to trip us up and get us caught. And that's why we call them hindrances. Some of you know this list of five, and I'm just naming them real quick, and then I want to spend just a few minutes on each one with a few kind of maybe suggestions about how we might work with them. And I'll give you a little way to remember it easily if, if you don't. So there's what's called um, sensual desire, or it's the wanting mind. Sometimes we call it um, uh, craving, wanting, but it's sensual desire. It's wanting more pleasant. And the flip side of that, which is also the wanting mind, but it's aversion or ill will, the euph- right? It's wanting, it's just wanting this to be away, not wanting to have it. Right? So there's a sensual desire, there's the ill will, um, sloth and torpor, I forgot the order, sloth and torpor, um, uh, which is, many of you have been reporting sleepiness and dullness, and we'll talk about that, and um, what's called restlessness, but actually restlessness and sometimes say, and worry or remorse which is a particular kind of restlessness. And doubt, skeptical doubt. Here's a way you can remember the five hindrances if you, if, it's, it's silly, but it works. Imagine yourself in the center, resting in equanimity, and forces pulling you in different directions off your center. You're pulled towards something, it's, it's, it's a sense desire, Pull, you pull back, it's, it's aversion. You're two up, restless, you're two down, sloth and torpor. So it's just these movements, so up and down. Too, too, too stirred up, energy's too low, sloth and torpor. Pulling towards and against. It's silly, but, and doubt, you just have to remember. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know why that was funny, I wasn't going for a laugh. <laughs> anyway, so it's just silly, but so you can remember. So. Because one of the ways that, that this can be helpful to sort of categorize in this way is um, the big trick, remember, is you have to have the mindfulness and it's, it's insidious when these uh, forces get us. Over and over, we'll just, we won't even see it. We'll be caught in it. And so being able to, to just label, oh, sense desire, aversion, Restlessness, sloth and torpor, doubt, can be a big, it can kind of free us up, right? So just labeling them in those ways can be helpful. So let's just work through them. Um, Just spend a few minutes uh, on each one and maybe a few suggestions. Um, So sense desire. So, um, 
when any kind of wanting or desire comes up, first of all, do step one, mindfulness of it, just knowing what's happening. And then when you do that, you want to just, just kind of let, let me just hang out here for a bit. Even if it's a few moments, don't be too quick to, to be in reactivity. It's kind of an, a letting be or allowing or an accepting. So we know what's happening. Can I just let this be? Even if it's just briefly, you may not be able to let it be, just, but you do your best. You just do the best you can. It's okay if you can't. And now that I'm here, by shining the light of awareness on it, can I just let it go? That's an experiment. There's no right or wrong that you should be doing it. You just see, we may need to bring down the intensity a little. We'll come to that in a moment. But first, just see if just that's enough, mindfulness alone. If not, then there are a range of things. I'm going to give you one of the traditional teachings, but what I'm about to say, actually, I never found much success with myself. But you can see, sometimes they'll say, like, if you have sense desire, you can you know, reflect on, well, impermanence is not going to last. Or let's just say there was a particular person that um, you found interesting and there was a lot of pull there. Maybe you could reflect on you know, the parts of the body or something like that. that, that you know, or foulness of the body or what are they going to look like when they're 90 years old or you know, something like that. Uh, I, you, I don't mean to be disrespectful. I'm just saying for me that that didn't really work. Um, you know, if some, something looks attractive, I mean, I can say, yes, it's, it's a gooky mess on the inside, but you're covered up in skin, and I'm sorry. It's <laughs> so <laughs> you fi- find what works for yourself, right? But you could try that. But what I've found is a couple of things. Well, first of all, I want to say this. I actually don't know how to tell you I'm sorry. Maybe some of these folks know better. I don't know how to tell you to let go of your clinging and craving around desire. I'm going to give you some tips. It's in the doing yourself that you find the way. It's in, it's in the immediacy of the moment. And how does one let go of anyone? I actually don't know. It's kind of mysterious. Why is it sometimes with something we can not cling and let go and other times it catches us? You know, that's a big topic. But we do the best we can. Sometimes what's needed is to cut off... Uh, the stimulus, if you have the option to do that, right? Um, you know, you just don't be around it. So I happen to have a pretty bad sweet tooth. I could just like eat a whole pie practically. I wouldn't feel well, but I mean, I'm telling you, I keep very little sugar where I live, almost nothing. And I just don't think about it much. If I start eating a lot, my sweet tooths work. So I, that's an example of sort of cut the, 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 the sense input in. If there's someone here who is interesting, or the s- same thing when we talk about the number two, there's some ill will or aversion there. Maybe we need to go like, go do your walking practice somewhere else. You just don't get the stimulus in if it's too much to work with, if you can't let go of it in the face of what's happening. So you could experiment with cutting that off. Another thing I'll offer, and this is, I was contemplating whether to do this or not because I feel this a little risky to say but I think we're here on the month long so I'm going to put it out here. I wouldn't say what I'm about to say to any, anyone so just take this if this what I'm about to say doesn't work for you just let it go. Actually that's true for everything right? It's, 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 you have to take it in and see if it resonates for you. Sit in the suffering of it. You've brought your mindful attention to the, to the um, to, okay, there's a hindrance, craving, or ill will. Okay, that wasn't enough. Maybe I try to cut off the sense input so I'm not seeing it or feeling it, but depending on what's going on, you may not even have the option. That's not enough. Go right in. This isn't for everyone, but if you can do it, okay, feel the suffering of it. Craving for essential desire is not that great. It's not. I've had the misfortune in my life to have been in love. Uh, 
And it's fine you left. I actually wasn't going for a laugh. You think it's great? Some of you may not have had that experience. I don't hope I'm not triggering anyone off by, because of your own life experiences, but that's happened to me. It was not great. Later, if things can settle down and smooth out and it's more stabilized, it's fine. But being in love, it's a lot of desire and everything and it's, it's, it's turmoil. It's not great. Sensual desire is a lot of suffering. And being caught in ill will is a lot of suffering. So, and we need, that's another place we need a lot of self-compassion in there too. For ill will, you can try to bring in, uh, shift the mind state. Oh, sorry, one more thing. So for sense desire, when I say cut it, sometimes we can just, we've tried everything, and you know what? We just shift the mindset. We just let it go. You have the skill and the ability, and it's not fake. You can really do that with, with right? just let it go out of your mind. There are other, there's a whole list of more traditional tips, but these are the things that I've tried that have worked. I'm just speaking experientially. Um, ill will. One thing I've found to be very powerful, aversion, is uh, first of all, you've got to be willing to let go because sometimes when you're in ill will, if it has the feeling of, well, I don't want to love that person, <laughs> you know, or something like that, it can feel like, oh, I, if there's that kind of thing, or I don't want to let go of it, that's a place to hang out. Is that really what we want? I happen to have a, I might talk about this in another talk. For example, I have an aspiration to live in a way where my heart never closes off to any beings, ever. That's a real aspiration. And I mean, of course I have uh, lots of opportunities to see where uh, more work needs to be done, for sure, right? But I see those as opportunities. But when the energy is strong for something, and it's like, oh, I want to love all be Oh, that one too? But do I, well, wait a minute, what happened to my big aspiration? Oh, so when we have to use our intentions and our aspirations to help us, and then, yeah, bring some loving kindness in there, bring some compassion, bring some empathy, whatever these qualities of the heart, in to meet that, and that can be a strong antidote uh, to ill will. You have to try it out and experience it. Also, cutting off the... Um, um, cutting off the sense input from that. Again, if there's a person going through the food line too long, slow, and that is annoying you, we'll go through the other food line or something. You know. uh, another just quick tip on that is um, if you, um, if, if aversion or ill will, so it can be towards any experience, it doesn't have to be towards a person. Right? It can just be towards my own pain, my own body, my own mind, right? We need a lot of self-empathy and self-compassion for those times. Um, if it's towards another person, try this. Rather than reacting off of the other person's actions, ask yourself, you know, what might be going on in someone to have them act that way? Just ask the question. Try it. It's an experiment. Already you're, trying, you're making an, at least a movement in the direction of empathy for another. Anyway, because I'm running out of time, I actually have a lot more on, on that topic. But these are the kind of the main things I know. Again, I'm just speaking more experientially. There are more traditional lists, but I, this is what I've found. Okay. Um, sloth and torpor. Let me spend a few minutes on that. Sleepiness. Um, so, um, starts with mindfulness. You can just be present with, uh, so I don't know, like sloth and torpor. To me, when I think of sloth, it's more in the body. I think of torpor more mental, but it's just sleepiness, dullness. I can't get my mind clear and sharp. I'm sitting here and I'm about to either fall asleep or I'm just so dull, my energy's too low. You know, all of that, physical, mental. Um, you, first, you may need sleep, of course. And you want to try to take care of that if you can, if, if that's what you think is necessary. Um, personally, 
uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with the wise and skillful use of, use of caffeine, but you have to find for yourself. Some people that helps and some it doesn't, you know, so, but, you know, you don't want to go just running to the caffeine, but it could be useful to help brighten the mind. If you, uh, I dealt with a ton of sloth and torpor in my early years and I suffered tremendously. I'd have a few sits where I was deep in samadhi and then I'd have a long time of sloth and torpor and I fought it and it's like, oh my God, it can be worked with. So a few things you can try. People say you can just sit with the sloth and torpor and you can try that out if you want. Um, I never found much success with that myself because by its very nature, I didn't have the clarity to be present with the quality of sloth and torpor. So I would just be falling asleep and everything. So that was not so successful for me, but you, you can experiment with just, can I be with it? If you're sitting in the hall, the traditional things you can try are, we've already said them, open your eyes, stand up. You could quietly, so you don't disturb your neighbors, try bringing in, do it quietly, some deep breaths. Real breath, see if that brings some energy. But being in the hall, you are, while it's happening, you are somewhat limited, so you'll have to see what supports you. But I will offer one thing that I think, I can't guarantee this, but many people have found useful. Uh, movement is a tremendous energy balancer. If you have too much restlessness, so this will happen, this will help for the hindrance of restlessness also, it can help get the energy out. If the energy is too low, it can help bring it up. It's really a, a marvelous energy balancer. So here's an experiment you can try if you're dealing with a lot of sleepiness. Before you come in to sit, do some more, I don't know, vigorous may not be the right word, but really do maybe some brisk walking. Maybe get your breathing going. Kind of get your energy going. It, also, if you like yogic breathing and you know a place to do it, it's not disturbing. You can do, some, I'm not an expert, but you know people can really get their breathing going and that can get energy. Really do something like that. The breathing, go run up and down the, the mountain or something to really get your energy going. And then come right in to sit. Right from that, come in, sit, and try it. I have found that that was a help for me. Okay. Also pay attention to diet. You'll know for your own body. I found if, I could, if my percentage of protein to carbs was good, I tended to be less sleepy, but you, you, you know, so you know, work with it the best you can. Also, there may be times of day that you know you tend to be sleepy or not, and so then you can adjust your schedule. Would it help you to do more walking maybe during those times versus, so just, play around and come to know what, those are a few things you can try. So I'm moving a little faster for the time. Now we did start a few minutes late and um, so um, it's 8.27, so I might go like just slightly over. I'll, I'm gonna catch hell later, but I'm, I won't go too much over. Just quick. Restlessness and worry. Um, well, I'll just say a couple of quick things. One is restlessness can be just purely an energetic thing in the body. So I've said a little bit about that. You can work with it. And there's more that can be said offline if you want. The worry part is more mental. And I wish I did have a little more time to hang out with this because some of you even today in the interviews have reported coming in. By the way, in case... I've, you may have noticed when you came on retreat that you brought yourself with you. <laughs> so it all comes in with us. So there can be real worry. We want to be respectful and know that that can come and it can take time to settle out. And so sometimes we want to check like what's fueling the worry, the anxiety, the restlessness. And sometimes if we check underneath it, uh, we can say, oh yeah, because Oh, I said this to this person and now I worried that, you know, I've got, you know, or whatever, or I left this piece of business un, unresolved. You know, there can be real things there. So if we can come to know it sometimes and we get to see well, what's fueling it underneath and then what actions we take around it, you know, that's a different question and I'll just leave that for now.
I'm sorry, I'm not really doing justice to restlessness, but um, uh, you can let any of us know, or I'm happy to talk or anyone more. If, if you want to explore that more, there's things we, you can do. The last one, skeptical doubt. Uh, it's insidious because what it does is it undermines, you, you, we just believe it's, it's so easy. Sometimes it's actually considered to be sort of the, one of the most challenging because it colors the very lens of our perception through which we can judge. And it can take many forms. We doubt ourselves, the teachings, the practice. I can't do this, it's not working. I'm, what, there's many, many forms. And again, I just don't have time, so I want to just name that when doubt comes, go get support. And here on retreat, it means um, uh, you come talk to one of the teachers. Get the support. You don't have to, if you need it, come get it. And there's more that could be said on that also, but um, I'm going to leave it at that for now to respect the time. So as we come to a close here, I want to invite you, all of us, to take a few moments and just Bring your attention for a few moments back in. If you're not, if you're, sometimes when we listen to Dharma talks, we can become a little disembodied. I don't know if that happens to you. It doesn't have to at all if we're more aware, but we can get more in, out into the concepts. Bring your attention back. If, if you need to. And I want to invite you just, we'll just do a quick, this is very, very short little reflection on intention. When challenges and difficulties come, it can sometimes, for some of us, be easy to fall into judging ourselves that we're not good and how we're doing it, how we're showing up, and it feels like we're struggling and we just don't feel like we're doing any of this very well at all and we're judging. And I would like to point out, if that happens to you, that actually, oftentimes, we are the least qualified to accurately judge ourselves because we're not objective sometimes. That can be true. We're experts on the li- our own lived experience, but we, what we make of it, the story about it, um, may not always be accurate. And so we can always fall back to one thing to support us that is true. And that is our intention and I hope there'll be a lot more discussion here around intention. It's so important. And so I just want to invite you to take a moment to connect, regardless with how well or poorly, good or bad, you think you're showing up or you think you're doing it. Your sincere, wholesome, good intention remains true. You came on this retreat. You're a Dharma practitioner. Because, and I said something in the opening night similar to this. I know this is true for every one of us. You want to learn to live in a way that creates less suffering in the world for yourself and for others. And you want to live in a way that creates more well-being for yourself and for others. And that's a beautiful intention. And regardless of the mind states that arise, the difficulties, the challenges, those intentions are real. And so I would even recommend every day taking a few moments to just get in touch, whether it's a vague sense or it's something specific. Fall back to your good intention. Well, and that can always be the support if all else seems like it fails. And then we can pick and go forward. And let that be an ally and a support. So I appreciate your kind attention. We'll sit quietly maybe for three breaths and then I'll ring a bell for us to end.